Brothers and sisters in Christ, may God bless us now as we study his word together. If you want to have your bulletins open to the reading from Haggai, that would really be awesome. Because then you can follow along with me as we uh, take a look at some of these words. Book of Haggai. How often have you heard or perhaps thought it yourself? It just doesn't make sense. We all know 10 plus 10 equals... Okay, thank you. Somebody's listening. (laughs) Although I've been told that uh, not necessarily so anymore with this new modern math. But there's plenty of times in life when, when the numbers just don't seem to add up. For example, we might all think of somebody who was, maybe we'd classify him, ah, he was a good kid. He came from a good family, but he got hooked on heroin. It just doesn't make sense. Or maybe we know somebody like this. She always took such good care of her health. She was just a picture of health. She had no family history, and then all of a sudden, she had pancreatic cancer. Just doesn't make any sense. We like to think, don't we, that, especially when we're young, I think, that life makes sense, a lot of sense. We like to think that maybe there's this law of nature out there. Maybe there's this, this scientific breakthrough. Maybe there's a, a Google search that we can do that will make sense of everything. But the older and the experienced among us here today, we know. We know that there's plenty of times when life obstinately refuses to make sense. I mean, what sense is there to the stabbing death of a young woman in a furniture store in California that perhaps you heard about on the news this last week? Or what sense is there in the abuse of a child? Or what sense is there in a virus that supposedly comes out of nowhere and infects and kills millions of people across the whole world? I mean, it just doesn't make sense. At least some of the Old Testament Israelites must have been thinking along those same lines as they were being dragged away into captivity from their home to a faraway country called Babylon. They had seen their beloved city of Jerusalem surrounded and assaulted. They had seen their homes torched. They had seen their lives literally going up in smoke. They saw the beautiful Lord's temple smoldering in a heap of rubble. And they must have thought to themselves, well, weren't we supposed to be God's chosen people? I mean, why then was there this war? Why was there destruction? Why was there death? Why was there deportation? It just didn't make sense. And 70 years later, when a remnant returned from Babylon back to Jerusalem, they must have been thinking the same thing. That holy city of Jerusalem that they came back to, 
It looked like a ghost town. Its walls and gates had been broken down and were crumbling. The temple courts, which at one time had been filled with the hubbub of people and the hum of singing, it was a mute pile of rubble that had been overgrown with weeds. It just didn't make sense. And so some of them decided to roll up their sleeves and put some sense back into their lives. They started rebuilding the walls of the city of Jerusalem. They installed a new altar up there on the Temple Mount where the temple had once stood. And they even dug a little deeper and started laying a new foundation for a new temple that was to be built. But you know how people are. They soon lost interest in rebuilding the temple. And they began to pay attention to something that was much more pressing, much more important in their minds, their own houses. And they started wondering, why why in the world should we prioritize precious time and precious money building God a house when our own houses need a lot of work? Because this makes sense. If the missus is happy, you know how that was, right? Then everybody's happy. It makes sense, too, that, hey, we'll take care of ourselves right now so that we're going to be in a better position to maybe take care of God's house later. But you know how people are. That later, it never came. And after almost two decades had gone by since they had laid the foundation for the new temple, the work had not progressed. And that's when Haggai was sent by the Lord onto the scene with a very major message that, humanly speaking now, doesn't make a lot of sense. Take a look at it with me. I'm looking at uh, verses 4 through 11. Haggai says to them, Is it time for you to live in your paneled houses while this house, the house of the Lord, lies in ruins? Now this is what the Lord of armies says. Consider your ways carefully. You sow much seed, but you harvest little. You eat, but are never satisfied. You drink, but you never become drunk. You get dressed, but no one is warm. The one who makes money puts that money into a bag with a hole in it. This is what the Lord of armies says. Consider your ways carefully. Go up to the mountains, bring lumber down, and build a house. I will be pleased with it, and I will be glorified, says the Lord. You expected much, but look, there was little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why did I do that? This is a declaration of the Lord of armies. It is because my house lies in ruins while each of you is busy with his own house. So it is because of you that the heavens have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine and the olive oil, on everything which the soil produces, on people, on livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Haggai was preaching a sermon. It's like I get to preach a sermon today, but in kind of a way, the Israelites there in Jerusalem were preaching a sermon. Preaching a sermon, Haggai says, about their own personal priorities with what he called their paneled houses 
and their procrastination with working on God's house. And that sermon was becoming loud and clear. It was me first, God second. In other words, they were saying simply giving to God just doesn't make sense. You ever thought that way? I know I have. I bet perhaps you have too. You have a financial advisor? Do you use Schwab? Somebody else? You know what they tell you. They tell you simply, hey, if you pay yourself first and invest it carefully, what's going to happen? You're going to get more money. But if you give the money away, what are you left with? Less money. That's the way money works, right? So if I prioritize the work of the Lord with first fruits giving, what does that mean about every other area of my life? It means that every other area of my life is going to do what? Probably suffer, doesn't it? Or if I give some of my time, some of my talents, some of my treasures away, then that means I got less for me and what I love, right? And we all know that the American dream is to have more than what our moms and dads had. It's true, humanly speaking, giving to God, sharing with others, as some of the kids suggested that that rich man could have done, it doesn't make a bit of sense. It's also true that the default mode of our sinful nature is to keep stuff, to store stuff, to stockpile stuff, to hoard stuff as we look out for me, myself, and I. We call it the good life. But what does God call it? Greed. We call it being sensible. What does God call it? Sin. Did you notice in Haggai's sermon how he uses what the Lord says to turn what the people undoubtedly thought were pretty eloquent excuses to not give completely on their heads? He said these things. He said, you sow much seed, but you harvest little. You eat and drink, but you never get drunk. You get dressed, but no one's warm. Money is put into a bag with a hole in it. You expected much, but there was little. How does that translate for you? It translates this way. The people had less because they gave little. And God himself was seeing to that. One drought, one bag full of holes at a time. I mean, think about it. The same God who at one time fed 5,000 hungry stomachs with only a boy's picnic lunch. That same God who is the one who can ensure that just a stockpile of stuff won't be able to make ends meet. Does Haggai's message sober us up a little bit this morning? In a not-so-subtle way, this is the sermon that we might be preaching if our priorities are our paneled houses, using Haggai's words, and our procrastination with God's house and God's work. 
giving to God first doesn't make a bit of sense. Let's bring it down to home here. Haggai's words should really make us wonder about what you as a congregation have come to expect of this congregation's ministry. If you've come to expect what some would call a full-service ministry, complete with a church, a school, early childhood ministry, then how could you expect those things to function the way they need to function? If the paneling of our houses remains our first priority. You've received a vibrant Christian ministry here that has been built by the sacrifice of parents and grandparents, perhaps even great-grandparents. But are you willing to prioritize the Lord's work in order to pass what you have been given onto your children, onto your grandchildren? i got to be honest with you, Pastor Zarling did not invite me here this morning to be a mercenary so that he didn't have to talk to you about this. He didn't ask me to come here and just scare him a little bit with this message, no. And I'm certainly not going to try to engage in some kind of shallow rah-rah session with you about doing it for the kids of the congregation. I simply want to tell you the truth. You get the ministry that you are willing to financially support. Because you know what? Unlike the government, the church, it can't just print more money. Now think of this. Do you think that these people that Haggai was speaking to, who ended up, as we find out in the rest of the story, like Paul Harvey used to say, the people who gave generously to the rebuilding and maintaining of the temple in Haggai's day, do you think they went home and then God let them freeze or starve to death? You know the answer. So after Haggai's rebuke, why would these Israelites give so confidently and generously to the work of the Lord? Because they believed in a God who had given himself completely for them. So this is how it works. It's not our giving that makes no sense. It's God's giving that makes no sense. That the Holy One of Israel would give himself completely for the sinful ones of America. It makes no sense whatsoever. That's why the Bible calls it grace. And God's grace, as the song says, is simply amazing. You know, Jesus didn't give 10% of himself for you. He was in it how much? 100% for you and for my salvation. What dedication to our salvation did it take for Jesus to leave the streets of heavenly gold for the cow manure of Bethlehem's barn? How much was Jesus willing to give up for you, not even having a house to call his own or a pillow to plop his head on? How full is Jesus' sacrifice for your forgiveness as he goes all the way to the cross for you to make slaves into dearly loved sons and daughters? This is the one who didn't swipe a MasterCard for you. This is the one who said, I thirst 
He's the one who also has washed you clean in your baptism. The one who cried out, why have you forsaken me as he hung on the cross, is precisely the one who says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The one who taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, is the very same one who opens his hands and he satisfies our desires. Should we trust a God like that? No. Thank God we do trust a God like that. So the big issue that's before you as a family of believers called water of life is simply this. Is our relationship with our Savior our life's priority or is it just another one of life's hobbies? We need to open our eyes. We need to see the harvest that is waiting because there's absolutely no question that the blessings are there And the resources are there for aggressive gospel ministry. So the question is not one of resources, but of our resolve. Where is the Lord in his work on our list of personal priorities? Is he a first fruits priority or is he a leftovers hobby? Will we settle for just nice paneled houses? Or do we desire to make a real, lasting, eternal difference? in the lives of others. My prayer this morning is that Haggai's message to us would open our hearts in a major way, open our eyes in a major way to see that we worship a God who knows how to make much in the next to nothing because of our greed and very little into abundance due to his grace. We worship the ultimate giver. God gave us his first. God gave us his best In Christ, he's graciously given us all things. He's faithfully kept his word, keeps his word, and will continue to keep his word. So trust him. Bank on his promises. And then let's get busy. Not building a new house, but filling up this one. Amen.